show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those, like you and me, who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. It is a beautiful day. Ah, just gorgeous. It's a beautiful day, at least in the neighborhood. You might not know it if you look a little bit beyond and, and trust the, the news cycles, which always have some new crisis to sell us, always some new end of the world uh, to capture our attention and to keep us engaged. Uh, if, if we were to follow the cable news cycle, that 24-hour rat wheel of a circle, we might be overwhelmed and think that beauty was no more. And yet this is not the truth. The truth of the matter is, it's a beautiful day and God is on his throne. Every time, uh, every four years when, when this election cycle rolls around, uh, I have to remind myself because it is, it, there's this desire, and I think rightfully so, for us to be politically engaged, for us to, to see what's going on in the world and to be able to um, weigh our consciences and use the power of our vote in uh, the most appropriate way. Absolutely. And I agree with that 100%. And yet in doing so, in getting informed, in paying attention uh, to the candidates and to the issues and to all the latest, man, it is so easy to get wrapped up in it and overwhelmed and, and to be convinced that this this thing that's happening right here is the most important thing that is happening at the moment, and not only right now, but the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of, you know, we make these big grandiose statements, and we convince ourselves of this, and we allow ourselves to be convinced of this by the, the powers that be. And it's been a few elections now that I've taken a step back and said, you know, no matter the outcome of this, it's not the end of the world. I'm, I'm personally invested. I have my, my opinion. I'm going to exercise my vote. But no matter what happens here, it is not the end of the world. It may be, uh, as some would say, well, well it, it's going to be the end of our, our nation as we know it. Well, every day is the end of something as we know it, right? Uh, and, and ultimately, we are not citizens only of this nation. We are strangers and sojourners passing through. Ultimately, we're citizens of heaven. And yes, we pray every day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want the the right and the righteousness of heaven to be seen in the way that we interact here on earth. We want that to be manifest here, that we would treat one another in the way that, that heaven demands, that uh, and yet, um, I, I look around, and this is this is getting out of my my American experience, and looking beyond, and looking at the Christian community, at my family, who live around the world under various forms of government, and are successful in living holy lives. They they live under various amounts of freedom, and yet they keep themselves devoted to Christ. And so I, I look at all of the turmoil that's going on and say, okay, 
Yes, I'm going to be politically engaged. Yes, I have a desired outcome and I'm going to go and I'm going to vote. But I'm not going to let an election or a president or a government or an, or a, an administration steal my peace. In the end, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so I want to encourage you and I want to invite you into this. Put the election down. Just even if it's just for the time that we talk today, put it aside. Put all of the concerns about economics, whether it be uh, national or whether it be personal, put it aside for just a moment because we have a God who provides for our needs. We've just been chocked full of of feast days over the past week. We had the feast of the archangels. We had the feast of St. Jerome. We had the feast of St. Therese of Lisieux. We had the feast of the guardian angels and they're all just kind of packed in there. And it made it really hard to say, what are, what are we going to talk about today? How are we going to fit all of this in? I was going through the scriptures that we, uh, that we talk about at the end that we read together. And it was really hard to pick which one we were going to use because so much of it fits in with our conversation today. And I, and I just, in the end of it, I had, I had to pick one. And so I've got that one picked, but man, I've got these other ones that are just kind of sitting here and and I want to, I want to use them. And so as we're talking about this, I want you to hear this. The disciples approached Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child over and placed it in their midst and said, Amen, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, For I say to you that their angels in heaven always look upon the face of my heavenly Father. And that comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And and here, here I want you to hear this. All of the posturing and the grandiose things that we can do here on earth amount to nothing. Unless we can become and turn and humble ourselves and become like children. This is what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And I look at my kids during this election cycle, and I tell you what, they are not worried. They have not the slightest clue uh, what's going on. And, And this is not a bad thing. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day when we let go of the things that we truly have no control over. When we let go of our anxieties and we put our trust in the provision and the kindness and the mercy and the the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful day when we begin to ignore the noise and the clamoring that demands our attention for these most pressing things over which we really have no concern. Uh, One of the other passages that was coming up right in this cycle of readings, right in this time period, is that whole be be anxious for nothing. And we've talked about this many times ever. We had a conversation, lovely conversation with Allison Jingris just a couple of weeks ago about this. Um, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with 
with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, right? Don't be anxious for all of these things you can't control. And this is the opposite message that we're getting from all of the media. Um, They want us to worry, whether it be a commercial or a news segment. The idea is if I don't consume this product, whether it be uh, something that we buy or something that we we observe and uh, and an idea that we take hold of. If I don't keep up with this thing right here, I should be worried. That's that's how we are sold things. That's whether it be financially or whether it be ideologically. This is the most important thing, and if you don't pay attention to it, then something bad is going to happen. And this this just repeats itself over and over and over to the point of fatigue. And so if we would turn our attention away from the cacophony and into the things that really, truly matter, our care for one another, our families, our neighborhoods, those people who we have direct connection to, even those people in our neighborhoods who would be on the fringe, to turn our attention away from the things that are too high for us, outside of our control, and turn our eyes to Jesus. Now, sometimes Jesus is going to lead us to places that we don't want to necessarily go. He's going to introduce us to ideas we don't necessarily want to take, but there is no immense urgency and worry that comes along with that. There's a deep compassion that comes along with that, but it is uh, structurally different in the way that it it manifests than this never-ending cycle of crisis. There are things, as we'll hear about in the story of the Good Samaritan later, there are things that we are called to do that are outside of our comfort zone and that are distressing. And yet, even in the midst of that, as we are called to those things, there's great peace. When we're operating following Jesus and doing the things that he is calling us to do that go beyond our comfort zone. In those things, there is safety and security and peace that is not what we experience with that never-ending 24-hour news cycle of crisis. So, today we're going to talk about staying a little bit more focused on the neighborhood. And again, I do not mean geographically. I'm not talking about socioeconomically. I'm not talking about getting into our gated communities and closing our garage doors and ignoring the rest of the world. But I am talking about letting go of the things that we can't control. That's the other reading that I really wanted to talk about today. And and it comes from, from Job. And at the end of all his calamities, at the end of everything that happened, Job said, and he answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. I have dealt with great things that I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I cannot know. You, I have heard of you by word of mouth, but now my eye has seen you. Therefore, I disown what I have said, and I repent in dust and ashes. And thus the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his earlier ones. Here's the thing. 
sometimes we we think that by our worry we can convince God to do something. But God is on his throne. He is actively doing what needs to be done. And so we offer ourselves in prayer and then we let go of the worry. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to turn our attention away from all of these great big news stories that we have no control over. And we're going to go look at a specific story that is not only delightful, but instructive. Something that will help us um, maybe as we're looking to our own neighborhood to get an idea for how to uh, how to move forward. We're going to talk about a specific neighborhood uh, that I was introduced to back at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I follow a number of, of people on social media. One of them is Father Andy Davey, who is a priest in the Congregation of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary. It's one of the longer congregation names that I know of. Uh, and, and he... On Facebook, did as many other people began to do Facebook Live and live streaming, he went that way. But rather than doing some uh, catechetical or, or podcast-esque talk to adults, uh, he did Father Davies Virtual Neighborhood in, in a, uh, a Mr. Rogers style. And I want to get into that a little bit as we go further along. But first, Father Davy, thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. That's a joy. So I, uh, a couple of days in, after you began this, you started reading uh, bits and pieces of the Chronicles of Narnia uh, and, and have, of course, expanded that beyond the first book because this thing just keeps going. Uh, but talk to me about those initial days as you're thinking, what do I do? How do I reach my people? What was it that made you decide to do something for the children? Yeah. So it was probably the week after um, everything hit in my area in Illinois in the Joliet Diocese. Um, and it was such a shock um, that we didn't think everything would just start shutting down. Um, and several of my school families, the parents, were just reaching out to me to say, can you just do some kind of thing on Zoom or something just to let the kids know that um, that you're here, they miss you, um, just to be that, just that, that spiritual fatherhood presence there. And so I was thinking of just doing like, you know, once in a while just to come on and say hello. Um, but then I started just thinking about, well, how do I lean into this? And one of my heroes is Mr. Rogers, even from, um, I had studied child development. Actually, I, I was a preschool teacher for a little while, um, for about four years when I was in college. And so I, I love that world. And I was like, well, let's, uh, let's just enter into this to give them the ability of seeing it as an adventure. Um, and originally I was thinking of just doing a, a little children's story here or going a bear hunt here. And then um, it started kind of opening up to read the first Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, and then I was just going to stop that and just go on to something else. Um, but one of these uh, um, little ones in, um, in kindergarten was uh, writing in and just saying that she was sad that they had to leave Narnia right now. And could they ever come back? And I was like, my heart just kind of went out. And I was like, <laughs> well, her name was Zoe. And I was like, Zoe, we don't have to, we don't have to leave Narnia. And so we just kind of jumped yeah. back in and, and completed the whole series. Yeah. You know, talking about 
Mr. Rogers. Um, many of us have these childhood memories of, of watching the show. I recently um, have gone back. I've got eight kids um, and we have, uh, they're all on Amazon Prime. So we've gone back and pulled them up and, and watching them as an adult is quite an experience um, that I never Dude. noticed as a child because as a child, Mr. Rogers was just your friend, but there's such intentionality of helping children process emotions. Yeah. And, and I want to talk about that a little bit because Jesus said to his disciples, unless you come as a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so there's something in this sense of, of closeness and wonder and, and just how a child approaches the world that we often in our busyness and our maturity and our grown upness forget, uh, Either that or we equate childishness with childlikeness, and that can also be a little bit of a problem. Um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by Mr. Rogers because of this emphasis on, on helping children understand their emotions and not be overwhelmed, not so much by life, but overwhelmed by their emotions and I see in our societies with, with everything that's gone on in 2020, but, but certainly with our political discourse in the world today, this sense of people being overwhelmed by their emotions and really not having an understanding of how to process that. So do you see any of your, your virtual neighborhood with the kids as taking on that same mission that Mr. Rogers had of, of um, looking toward them processing their emotions and have you seen any positive fruit of that maybe in the parents that are watching along with the kids? Yes. Um, I think there was one in particular. There, there's a couple ones that I just emphasize that sense of we're, we're in this together on an adventure. Um, and sometimes there's scary moments. Sometimes there's happy moments. But just like these characters are going through these uh, difficult moments, um, they remind us um, that we, we help each other. It's a time of courage, um, but that ultimately there's this hand of providence that, that, that helps them through that situation. Um, I did have a couple of them that were more focused on um, processing the emotion in particular. Um, one of them was dealing with um, putting on masks and you know, just that kind of foreign thing for the kids of what, what's this about? And so I kind of did a little more lighthearted just mm -hmm. to make it something that wasn't as traumatic for them. Um, there was one time, actually, I, I have one of the puppets with me, actually. Um, so my friend Clifford right here. Um, so one of the homilies, so I did the virtual neighborhood and then I still have to put some of these children's homilies that the diocese wanted me to do um, to put them into YouTube. Mm -hmm. But there was one in which I actually talked through Clifford, very much in a Mr. Rogers neighbor sort of way, and talked about his um, his feelings on him wanting to hug his grandmother. Mm -hmm. And yet his grandmother kind of went like this and said, you know, I can't. Yeah. And sort of processing like, did he feel bad or... You know, he went to his mom after that and was asking what happened and, and kind of just talking through that um, it's not a reflection on them being bad or something like that, but it, 
just for them to recognize that there's this hurt that they have to understand that it's not, it's not them, but it's, you know, being able to see that it's just a difficult situation. Yeah. We're talking today with Father Andy Davey. He's the pastor at St. Mary Parish in Plano, Illinois, in the Diocese of Joliet. Uh, but he's also a member of the Congregation of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. So here on your Facebook page, which we're going to put a link to on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, or on Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Um, you have these really months worth of... Uh, of children's interactions of Father Davy's virtual neighborhood, do you ever wake up in the morning and say, "What am What am I going to do today? How am wh- we?" I expected this to go on for you know two weeks as we were going to slow the curve, and here we are months later. Have you Have you had that sense of panic yet, or is there this uh, kind of trajectory that we're on now, or or even just divine providence that makes everything work out? I think at first, the first couple ones, when I started to realize that this is not just going to be a couple week thing, but something much longer. And it was that sense of, well, okay, content wise, like, what do I, what do I do? Um, You can only go on a bear hunt so many times. Um, But um, that's when just the idea of um, song and story, um, which are two things that um, I very much love. Uh, when I worked um, as a preschool teacher, one of the things I'd love to do was to do um, praise and worship with motion. And so I do a lot of these praise songs and get the kids moving and doing hand motions and, and stuff like that. And so I already had a lot of those in my repertoire. So I could say, well, I'm just going to start going through those and maybe even repeating them because kids just love singing a song over and over again. And then this idea of chapter books now that this isn't just a, a one story here, one story here, I started thinking about this is an opportunity um, to help children uh, and little ones, but also it started to move maybe more to a, maybe a little older child um, with the chapter books mm-hmm. um, and then even the adults as well to take good literature that has deep messages, deep abiding truths on how to respect one another, how to be courageous, how to, um, in, how to not think about yourself in, a, in an egotistical way, but that sense of selfless sacrifice. And um, so I went through and thought about Chronicles of Narnia as a great one to just, it, it can hit littler kids, mm-hmm. older kids, adults, um, and so I did that. And then also the adventures of Winnie the Pooh, because both of those kind of bring a lot of deep, uh, good quality literature, um, but things that aren't necessarily explicitly just talking about the faith, but they kind of just, you know, come in the, in the radar. Specifically, you know, of course, the Chronicles of Narnia, they are allegory. Uh, they are meant to tell that story, but I'm thinking even yeah. back to the adventures of Winnie the Pooh, where um, you might not have that 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 very clear um, yeah. allegory. You still have uh, a deep and abiding uh, morality and and care for the common good that's built in and baked into the story. Yep, and all of those all of those really good strong children's literature. 
um, they have that within that because it really was teaching virtue and teaching like how how do you be a, a good human person that ultimately will find its home in how do you live your life for God? As we're talking about literature, I'm going to take a little bit of a tangent here. Um, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, back when he he gave the inaugural address at um, the at a Parasita, uh, and he talks. It, speaking of politics, uh, and that's not the direction I'm taking this, but he talks about uh, these political systems claimed that they were going to create morality in and of themselves without a need for a prior morality, without just structures or dr- just systems. Uh, taking that to a, a more granular level, I see that some in in literature today as well, where um, the the stories that are coming out don't have the same underpinning uh, of that prior moral framework. And so we're seeing something that that is still uh, engaging and it still engages the mind, but it's missing something fundamental to the common good that used to be present in literature. Um, so what do you see in that uh, as maybe a solution for parents who are looking for things for their children to read? Uh, how do you go about assessing literature uh, in your own practice to be able to share it with the kids? Yeah. I think it's always good to read it beforehand um, so that you can see it as an adult and to sort of see it through those eyes and to, it helps you also to learn how to be a child again, Um, not to be like you said, childish because a childish person doesn't want to grow up. It's kind of like the Peter Pan thing where I, I don't want to grow up where a true child can't wait to grow up. Um, and so it's this this sense of I want to develop, I want to grow versus I want to just be stuck. Um, so I think it helps you to become a child. But then looking and seeing, is there is there a basic concept of right and wrong, of good and evil? Um, is there the sense of characters who you you appreciate, you sort of lean towards that might, they might have struggles and different things like that, but there's someone who is trying to seek the good. Mm-hmm. And you might be able to relate to them to be like, wow, they're, they're struggling here. Maybe they aren't getting everything right. And yet in the midst of that fall, they learn a hard lesson. They come back. They, they ultimately seek that good. And you know, there is that grace of the happy ending which is not just a, a cheap trick kind of thing, but it, it points us towards the, the true happy ending that comes in, in Christ. We're talking today with Father Andy Davey, pastor of St. Mary Parish in Plano, Illinois, from the Diocese of Joliet, also a member of the Congregation of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, what a pleasure, as we've been talking about his, his, uh, his Facebook live streams Father Davies' Virtual Neighborhood. I'm going to put a link to that on our social media. Go to facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I'd love to hear from you. Let's have a conversation. Tell me about the thing during the pandemic, the live stream that you have really gravitated towards, your favorite one. And there's more to this conversation right after this, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and today we are talking with Father Andy Davey. He's the the priest at St. Mary's Parish in Plano, Illinois, uh, and is a member of the Congregation of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. He's also uh, a bit of an internet sensation, at least I think so, uh, because he does these Facebook Lives called Father Davey's Virtual Neighborhood. Uh, and they are just delightful. Uh, sit down and, and for 30 minutes, hear a song and, and hear a, a chapter out of Chronicles of Narnia or of some other book or get some message of the faith uh, kind of hidden away in literature or in play or in fun. Uh, and if you have kids and you have a Facebook, uh, you should connect to Father Davey on Facebook Live and enjoy Father, thank you again for joining us. It's great to be here. So we're talking about um, engaging our children with seeing the common good, uh, of seeing that um, that even in the midst of all of the craziness of life, we can still uh, be ordered towards others. Uh, and Pope John Paul II, of course, would talk about the the gift of self, the full and total gift of self uh, as being the highest act of love. Uh, and we who are seeking to follow God, seeking to live in that love, this is the way we do it, by, by seeking the good of the other, by uh, pursuing the common good and the beautiful and the true. So talk a little bit about maybe some of the fruit that you have seen from the families in your parish uh, who've been engaging with you through this process. Yeah, sure. Well, one of the things that that happened in the midst of this is um, the whole title of, of Father Andy's Virtual Neighborhood taken off of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but that idea of a neighborhood has a Christian context to it, that sense of, like you said, the common good, that sense of very much on that local level of loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, and that was one of the themes that was very much a part of um, the the whole series. This whole program was always reminding them to um, uh, to see how can they be a neighbor to someone. And even looking in literature and looking at whether it's the way that Christopher Robin um, just has this deep love and care for Winnie the Pooh. Um, even though he sees his faults or his silliness, he still has this, this ability of being able to see him and loving him in the midst of the messiness and just saying, silly old bear. Mm-hmm. Um, you also see these characters in the Chronicles of Narnia that really show you sort of the opposite of what we should do. So a lot of times uh, we were sort of seeing these characters that um, were very much um, stuck in this idea of um, uh, a certain kind of egotism in which they see the world revolving around them, their desires, their wants, you know, any sort of things that are in their heart that's warped. And their lens is to say, everything around me is a means to my end. Everyone is a servant. There's, I mean, the, the white witch is a perfect example of this is, everyone is there to make me better. And that has terrible consequences 
um, even to destroy an entire world and the magician's nephew um, because that's what they're there for is just to be my means to an end. Um, and so a lot of times we'd be talking about that is to say, you know, in our day-to-day life, am I looking at my friend as someone that can give me something or how do I learn how to say, this is a special person created by God and how can I, how can I love them? And how can I make their day brighter instead of seeing them as the means to um, make me feel better? Because uh, the, the trick was when we learn how to make someone else's day brighter um, and practice that message of mercy, it's really this gaze of seeing the person as your brother and sister in Christ, as a child of God, that it opens your own heart to have your own heart much, much brighter once you're able to um, be able to empty yourself and to lift up the other person and not not operate from a, everyone is is lesser than me and I'm going to use them as instruments so that I can get my power, I can get my strength, I can get whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I talk about uh, often that we often, as we're walking along and we're seeing through our own eyes, we see the world as if it's our story, that we are the main character in our story. And um, whether we're the cameraman with our eyes or whether we're, um, we're narrating in our head, everything that we see is moving our plot along. And so when we think of it in that way, when we think of it as a story, um, we, we just can't fathom the idea without, I think, forming ourselves in this way that we are the minor character in someone else's story. We're not the main character of our own. And when we, when we think in that way, when we think about being the minor character in someone else's story or in everyone else's story, I think it ultimately gives us much more fulfillment and gives us a better sense of, of neighborhood and of community. Um, And of course, hopefully the, the people that we are around have the same mentality. And so everyone is being uplifted and everyone's needs are being met even even as we are all seeking the good of the other person or the other people that are coming through our orbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I think um, one of the things that you definitely see in the Chronicles of Narnia, for instance, is the main character, Aslan. And you see how the other characters, to the extent that they follow Aslan, that they trust him, that they, they give themselves over to, to his will, um, that's when they start becoming stronger. They start um, following their mission. There's a, a part of uh, following the signs of Aslan, which mm-hmm. happens in the, in the silver chair. And you just see them being able to, to go through the adventure. But the moment that they start tr- really trusting more in themselves and sort of seeing themselves as the one that everything else revolves around, they become more empty, they become more shallow, and they become someone that you just don't want to be. Yeah. Father Davey, as you're talking, one of the things that stands out to me about uh, the Chronicles of Narnia specifically, and Aslan being the main character, um, it, that, that's a phrase that, that I haven't heard used before, and it, it absolutely makes sense, and it absolutely is true, but we tend to think that the the children that are there are the main characters and there's a, a rotating cast of it. But what I, what I love about this idea of Aslan being the main character, which he most certainly is, 
is his is not the story that we're necessarily given from beginning to end. There's a certain bit of mystery about who he is and where he's been. And, and even at the end where he goes, um, and this mystery is something that, that ought to, uh, to drive our curiosity, but it also ought to help us as watching these children, uh, interact with his story to recognize that, we in our story are just interacting with the main story in so far as we're following the signs of Aslan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really gets to this issue uh, again that goes to the idea of being like the White Witch or Uncle Andrew is another one of these characters that, that are stuck in their own prison of themselves and kind of just seeing the world in terms of a means to their end. Um, is there's these two, a vice and a virtue. Um, and you see this in a lot of classical literature where um, humility, humilitas, and something called curiositas. And so it's a different thing than curiosity like we would normally think, but it's this idea of trying to, um, in a sense, imprison the mystery, to put Aslan in a cage And to sort of figure out the mystery of how do I tweak it? How do I sort of break it open to make it serve me? Mm -hmm. Um, That's the, the, that's actually the whole mystery behind the story of Frankenstein. Um, It's that idea of, I want to, in a sense, capture the power of life, but that ultimately leads to not a good end for Victor Frankenstein. Whereas humilitas is very much the sense of Aslan is not a tame lion. Right. He's the main character, but he comes in at different times. His hand is always present, even though you don't always see it. And to the extent that people like Lucy, who's one of the, the favorites in the Chronicles of Narnia, right. have this, this childlikeness where they're able to be open to mystery and not wanting to sort of be grown upish and kind of capture it and sort of figure out how to make it work in sort of a marketable way, mm-hmm. but simply to be open and to say, this is beautiful. And I want to, I want to enter into the mystery without controlling the mystery because the mystery is bigger than me. Yeah. To participate and not to control. Exactly. So let's talk about participating and not controlling. We are in the midst of a pandemic and Everything else that's going on crazy in the world, political season, uh, natural disasters, everything going on that we would love to control. We would love for everything to get back to normal. Uh, but one of the things that the, the Marians of the Immaculate Conception uh, champion is the story of St. Faustina and of the Divine Mercy Chaplet. So ch- ch- changing our view, segueing into this, talk to us a little bit about how we can will the good of the other enter into the story of our neighbors uh, mm-hmm. and and provide in some way through our prayers and through our service to seek their good through the charism uh, that you have through your order? Yeah, sure. Um, one place to start there is um, when someone came to the Lord and said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And the Lord says, um, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. To 
love your neighbor as yourself. So if you think of it in that sense, the first thing that we need in order to be strong and loving our neighbor is we have to receive the mercy of God. Um, we can't be merciful on our own strength. Um, but a lot of times we don't know how to look at one another because um, we fall into this. Um, Pope Francis in Laudato Si, he talks about this technological paradigm or technocratic paradigm, which is the way we see someone, again, like these, these villains in the Chronicles of Narnia of, I see someone as a means to my end. I see them in sort of a technological way instead of seeing the, the mystery, the dignity that's there. So we're stuck in that kind of world unless we allow someone to give us new eyes. And just even from a psychological point of view, emotional point of view, when parents gaze upon their children and love them from their first moment of their conception, you know, their first eye, you know, their eyes opening for the first time, seeing their parents smile at them, loving them, not for what they can do, because they really can't do anything at that moment, but they just, they just are, that that trains them to know that one, that they are good, they are lovable. But then it also, just like a child learns to smile from their parents, the child also learns how to look at those who are in need, look at the neighbor through the way that they've been looked at. And so how much more for God, God, our Heavenly Father, looking at us and the, the message of divine mercy, the image of divine mercy is really the image of Christ coming into our darkness, into this maybe warped way of gazing upon others, um, that he comes in, he brings light, he takes the chaos and he says, let there be light. And just he's able to let us see um, afresh with new eyes. But when we see Jesus, just to like in the Bible, it says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so we have the Father's gaze coming upon us in the message and image of divine mercy. And what that does then is that forms our heart to be able to have that same gaze of mercy towards our neighbor, to be able to love them, not for what they can do for me, but for who they are, that they are a irrepeatable masterpiece of God's creation that, that has to be loved for its own sake. We're talking today with Father Andy Davey, priest and pastor of St. Mary's Parish in Plano, Illinois, member of the Congregation of the Mary and Fathers of the Immaculate Conception, and he has been uh, sharing this wonderful uh, example, this wonderful opportunity uh, through Father Davies' Virtual Neighborhood. We're going to link to that on our social media. Go take a look at it, uh, at least an episode or two. And if you have children, bookmark it so that you can go and let them watch through the whole series. Father Davy, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Yeah, thank you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Davy, or you want to go back and share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There is more to my conversation with Father Davey available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Each and every week, we ask a couple of extra questions with our guest. Then we put those into a podcast that we make available to all those who support the show. 
maybe you've thought about doing that for a while, but this week, this episode is the one that you're like, you know, I, I want to hear more of this. Well, it's quite easy to do while you're there at outside the walls, sharing this week's episode up in the top right hand corner of every page, you'll find a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link and you'll find a couple of different tier levels and different rewards that come with that. But even at the lowest tier, for as little as $5 a month, and that's multiple episodes, right? For $5 a month, less than one cup of coffee, you get access to all of our extra segments. Most weeks, that's about $1.25 per podcast, but some months, it's just a dollar because we do have five episodes some months. So I would love to have you be a part of that support network. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and consider, there's a couple of free ones for you to listen to, get a sense for how they go, uh, but consider becoming a part of that support network. We're going to go ahead now and turn our attention, so we have plenty of time, turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up, and ooh, how exciting it is. Um, You can get your own Verbum Library by going to verbum.com and uh, get a a free, free 30-day trial. And at the end of those 30 days, if you don't want to keep the larger library, there's still a small library that's kept there on the computer and... There's always, each and every month, a free book giveaway there in the Verbum platform, so it's worth your time. Our reading today, out of Scripture, comes from the Gospel of Luke, where we hear this. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, anytime you see one of these things where it says they test him, that means they already had an answer in mind. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was the neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered him, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. And do we ever come to God with an with a question that we think we already know the answer to? 
we come and we present him with something that we have so figured out. We've wrapped our head around it and we just give it to God and say, okay, God, here is my question for you, thinking that we know exactly how God is going to respond because we've thought this through, right? And and so then we give it to him and, and he says uh, he says to us, oh, oh okay, well, how do you read it? <laughs> right? That person, that that the the teacher of the law who came to quest Jesus, question Jesus, he knew exactly what was going to be the right answer that he could check off. And, uh, and Jesus turned the tables on him and said, well, how do you read it? Kind of avoided the question. And, uh, and if this was anyone but the divine, it's still very shrewd. Oh, well, he was all too happy to share his knowledge. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is a good job. All right, talk to you later. <laughs> I've, I've I've experienced this sometimes in my prayer where um, I, I feel like all of my hard work and preparation is not being appreciated by God. He, uh, he's not giving it the attention that it's due. Well, well, okay, but, 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 but wait a second. Who, who is my neighbor? And just like that, just like that, Jesus goes into story time. Well, there was a man. And so takes us out of the theoretical, out of the, um, uh, the, the, the machinations of our mind, and takes us into the imagination. And this, this is a very different thing. This is why uh, what, I, what Father Davey is doing, I think, is so powerful, because it takes us into story to teach us something deeply and profoundly true. So first of all, I encourage you, dive into story. But second of all, in regard to the neighbor, the one who treated him with mercy, go and do likewise. Our reading today from church history comes from the autobiography of St. Teresa of the Child Jesus, St. Therese of Lisieux. Since my longing for martyrdom was powerful and unsettling, I turned to the epistles of St. Paul in the hope of finding an answer. By chance, the 12th and 13th chapters of the first epistle to the Corinthians caught my attention. And in the first section, I read that not everyone can be an apostle, prophet, or teacher, that the church is composed of a variety of members, and that the eye cannot be the hand. Even with such an answer revealed before me, I was not satisfied and did not find peace. I persevered in the reading and did not let my mind wander until I found this encouraging theme. Set your desires on the greater gifts, and I will now show you the way that surpasses all others. For the apostle insists that the greater gifts are nothing at all without love, and that this same love is surely the best path leading directly to God. At length, I had found peace of mind. When I had looked upon the mystical body of the church, I recognized myself in none of the members which St. Paul described. And what is more, I desired to distinguish myself more favorably within the whole body. Love appeared to me to be the hinge for my vocation. Indeed, I knew that the church had a body composed of various members, but in this body, the necessary and more noble member was not lacking. 
I knew that the church had a heart and that such a heart appeared to be aflame with love. I knew that one love drove the members of the church to action, that if this love were extinguished, the apostles would have proclaimed the gospel no longer. The martyrs would have shed their blood no more. I saw and realized that love sets off the bounds of all vocations, that love is everything, that this same love embraces every time and every place. In one word, that love is everlasting. Then, nearly ecstatic with the supreme joy in my soul, I proclaimed, O Jesus, my love, at last I have found my calling. My call is love. Certainly I have found my proper place in the church, and you gave me that very place, my God. In the heart of the church, my mother, I will be love, and thus I will be all things as my desire finds its direction. That reading comes from the feast day of St. Therese of Lisieux, from the autobiography of St. Teresa of the Child Jesus, also known as St. Therese of Lisieux. As we talk today about uh, ignoring the anxiety of the wider world, as we talk about narrowing our focus from the, the, the cacophony of what's being presented to us as a story by, the, by our, our nations, by the, the news media, by whatever else, and we turn our attention to the neighborhood, even when that neighborhood includes people we would not expect, as we see in the story of the Good Samaritan. As we turn all of our attention to those things that are right in front of us, and we concentrate on becoming like little children, as Jesus instructed us, it's, I think, appropriate that we look at St. Therese as she offered us the little way, the little way to holiness, which is not necessarily all so little. That little way is love. That little way is mercy. That little way is being the embodiment of the love of God here in this earth. And when we start there, then, then after we have filled ourselves up with the love of God and begin to give others the love of God, that is when all of the other magnificent things happen. When we strive for those things that seem big and important, we often get overwhelmed and we miss the mark. But it's when we first are engulfed in the love of God, when we first experience and are fulfilled and filled up with the love of God, that then we can begin to give it away. And we begin to give it away in the way that Jesus instructs us. And like the the feeding of the 5,000, where they didn't feel like they had enough bread and they didn't feel like they had enough fish, and Jesus blessed it, and then he told them, now go and give it away. The miracle happened when they began to be obedient. And so, too, we'll find that when we begin to act in love, we will not run out. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show was brought to you by Brandy C., who just had an anniversary. Happy anniversary to you. And all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. 
patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices.